going through the car wash this week. Gordon Iggerson calls out Paloi. Did you ever struggle uh, coming back from the off-season? No. Be careful what you say, uh, Brian. <laughs> I call you every day. Huh? <laughs> Guess who Brian's talking about here? I think it's just a, a, a hope and for me that he will play until he's about 38, 40. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think he, he's got the genetics. He's blessed with that. And he still has the hunger and, and, and uh, the desire to play. And which goalkeeper did Spider-Man leave off his top five? I would definitely agree. I would definitely agree with Brian, all those goalkeepers. There is one goalkeeper that he may, may, have, missed out, may have missed out. I'm not sure if he actually... Yeah, he did play in the PSI era. It's a... Today is a great day for a car wash. Yeah, sure. Car wash. <laughs> this is the car wash on Sakala Duma Radio. This is a a Good day and welcome to the car wash. This is episode number 36. On today's show, what is Safa's role in the PSL restart? More retrenchments at Bidvest Vits and what's next for Percy Tao and Bongani Zungu over in Europe? Whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts or Game Time on Mahikang FM, welcome to the show. It's my pleasure to be joined by four-time PSL winning coach Gordon Iggerson. Welcome to the show and happy birthday, Gordon. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing well, Slu. Thank you. And also joining us is three-time PSL champion and former Chiefs and Sundowns goalkeeper, Brian Baloi. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. And ha- happy birthday to coach there. Uh, thanks, Brian. They are standing in for Teko Mudise, who will be rejoining the car wash in August. And also Sean Roberts, who's just become a father. A big welcome to the world to his son, Teo Malcolm Roberts. And congratulations to Sean. Uh, We are all super proud of you, bro. Uh, so let us start with the first. So I'm going to have to do all of Sean's features. He has a, he has a few features on the show, uh, including the joke of the day. Yeah, yeah. So uh, every week I think the jokes get worse and uh, I'm hoping to, to change that with this one. So gents, get ready. <clears throat> what is the difference between England and a teabag? Well, the teabag stays in the cup longer than England. <laughs> that was much better. Maybe you should take over from the from Sean in the jokes. Right? <laughs> yeah, he's under, he's under big pressure now. <laughs> you heard them, Sean. It, it it came from them, not me. So, starting with the first story of the day, we of course have to talk about Safa and the PSL because it's all that we can really talk about. So, um, I'd, I'd like to highlight most recently Highland, Highlands Park director Sinkim Nisi criticized Safa, stating they have taken their eyes off the ball and are playing politics. And so the first question is, are Safa politicizing the PSL's restart? Because there's multiple stories coming out here. So I think the format we'll go with, we'll start with Gordon and then go to Brian. Gordon, what are your thoughts on this kind of disjointed restart that we're experiencing with the PSL? You know, Snoo, I think it's, I think first of all, I need to say that, you know, that this season has been totally indifferent to every other season, as you know. I mean, this, 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 uh, this virus has really 
uh, put a spoke in the wheel. And it's, there's, there's so much at stake. You know, there's people's lives at stake. There's, there's sponsorships involved. There's, you know, we want to get the league finished. We want to get a winner. We want to get a, a, a new team promoted and a team a relegate, whatever the case may be. Is. But there's so much at stake here. And I think it's got to do a lot with, uh, you know, we can talk about politics. We can talk about all these things. But at the end of the day, I think both parties need to be correct. And uh, they've got great responsibilities. Uh, Brian, what do you make of it? Do you think um, do you think that there's something else happening behind the scenes that maybe we're not clear on? For me, I would say uh, you know both parties are at fault. Uh, no one can point out at Safa or PSL between the two of them because of we all. It's not a secret. We all know the differences they've had for many years, you know. And the, so for me, I would say no one is an angel between the two, and they suggest. Uh, at the end of the day, football and the public is the is no is the loser is the one that suffers, and uh, you know each party can come with you know t- uh, explanation on whatever uh, you know is happening and that Safa is politicizing this is doing that, uh, PSO is doing this, but at the end of the day, um, you know there there there's regulations and stuff that needs to be followed, and you know um, you hear stories from the one side. Uh, and then you have other stories from the one side. I think for me, government, as much as FIFA doesn't allow government to get involved in football matters, but I think for me, in this case, government should be involved and government should be the one that really lays the rules and so that uh, they can be, we can finalize this issue, especially with, um, you know, on the uh, health issues um, and, and, and that are there that have to be followed and all of these um, uh, on the one side, Safa has to take responsibility. So for me, I think government should play, you know, uh, um, um, the referee, if if you may say. But for me, I think uh, it's long overdue uh, the problems that we've had between PSL and Safa. Um, but I think we should even be using this situation uh, to 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 rectify all the the wrongs that have been there for many years. Now, you mentioned government playing referee, and speaking of referees, it's kind of one of the issues that Safa raised. And it's an interesting divide here, Gordon, because if, if, it's a, if it's a referee fitness issue, which they've mentioned, then that's a Safa problem that they should have actually been in charge of. And if it's a PSL team's compliance issue in terms of COVID, then that's PSL's responsibility. So this kind of split task, what do you, what do you think it, it really is? We haven't really heard of any compliance issues officially, but they've suggested it. Uh, uh, what do you make of these rumours? Look, I think, I think, Slu, the most important thing here, and I think Brian hit the nail on the head, there's two bodies here. First of all, we mustn't forget that the, the governing body that runs football in South Africa is SAFA. They, they are the governing body that run football in South Africa. And, and um, the PSL, is, they run the league. So now there's got to be a lot of correspondence between the PSL, I would say, and the Minister or Minister of Sport or the Minister of Health, because the government now have taken over completely, and, and rightly so. They need to make sure that there's, if anybody wants to come back and play football, there needs to be a negotiation between the PSL and the and the minister regarding the protocols, how is it going to take place, where are we going to play, what fields are we going to play on, is there going to be travelling, is there going to be safety, are there going to be doctors there? All these things have to be in place. Once those things are all in place, then the, the minister will make a decision and say, if you've got all those all those compliances, all those, all those protocols in place, then I'm happy for football to start. Now the question is, SAFA, 
have to say, right, we can start on this day or that day. If there's a problem somewhere along the line, if it's for referees, for example, if they haven't had enough time for referees, but I think to, for, for the referees to get ready. But the most important thing is there's got to be a, a working working partnership here. If there is a problem, then let's sort it out. Between between SAFA and between PSL, sit down and say, right, I'm quite happy for you guys to start on this date or the 28th of July or whatever the case may be is, but I'm just a little bit worried about this particular situation. Let's sort this one out and we'll start next week. But that's how it's got to be done. But we mustn't forget that the governing body who runs football in this country is SAFA. Now, Gordon, uh, staying with you on, on, on this, there was a breaking news on the, uh, today, the day of recording, um, that FIFA has allowed Safa to extend the season beyond August. Do you think that this is a step in the right direction and perhaps relieve some of the pressure? Yes, without a doubt. This would definitely relieve, uh, release a lot of pressure because, I mean, you know, obviously there's a deadline. Uh, we, we're dealing with a professional league. Yeah, we're dealing with players that are, you know, you can't play every second day. You've got to, you've got to stretch it out. So if they've got a little bit of time, all these little things that are, we are not even sure. Is it referees? Is it the protocols aren't in place correctly? Is it whatever the reason's been, it gives them a little bit of time now to sort out. And if that is the case, then there's absolutely no doubt that uh, at this moment of time, I think the government has said that football can go ahead as long as these protocols are in place. So all we need to do with a little bit more time now is make sure those protocols are in place, make sure our referees are all fit, make sure whatever the problems they are that we really don't know exactly what they are right now, let's pick them up and let's start. And then if we've got that extra bit of time now, then there's absolutely no reason why uh, we shouldn't start very soon if the protocols are in place that the government wants. And now, Brian, uh, from the fans' perspective and even maybe from a player perspective, do you think that the issue here is that Safa and the PSL uh, don't uh, show a kind of united front here because Safa does their press conferences, the PSL does theirs, but we never really see them do joint press conferences and they seemed to be headed that direction at the end of May that you know there's going to be a joint task force, joint this, but now it just seems disjointed again. Do you think that's the problem that on the surface they seem divided? Yes, uh, like I said, I mean, uh, and there's a lot of underlying problems and that have been there for many years. And they are kind of using this uh, pandemic to surface. And for me, I would say uh, there's a lot of stake here. There's jobs at stake. There's a whole lot of lives at stake. I would say I would love to see government getting involved and saying, okay, here's the situation. Um, we're giving you PSO. Uh, this task, do this. We're giving you uh, suffer this task, do this, uh, and 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 iron out all the problems and the reporting. And because uh, a whole lot of these issues are about who reports to who. And for me, I think governments should just sit with them and say. And again, when we're talking of referees, we talk about uh, PSL says this, suffer says this about referees. But there is a Jerome Damon that is uh, uh, responsible for referees. Let them then bring him in. Let him say his piece. What is the real issue with the referees? You know, and then uh, then we can have a, a way forward. Um, but like I said, for me, the issues that are there, it's not the issues that are at play right now. It's 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 a whole lot of issues from long ago. <laughs> that are playing itself out right now. Yeah, and as you said, I mean, and 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 uh, Gordon, we were speaking off air about uh, Mato Mazala. Uh, now she did an interview where she said that they report directly to the minister, but that contradicts what the minister said uh, a couple months back, where he said, "No, Safa has to play an overarching role here." Uh, so, do you think that just using the media to air out all all of this nonsense? 
No, I think I think um, obviously the, the PSL have got a, a, a huge task ahead of them because they've really got a lot of work to be done regarding they've done it. It sounds like because they wouldn't have been passed by by government to play if it, if, if all this work hasn't been done. But um, there's no doubt in my mind that the, the, that uh, that. Um, McLeod definitely uh, reports to to the to the uh, government, but regarding the health issues and what's been put in place, because I'm sure the government has said to spoken to the PSL and said, right, what is the situation with X, Y, and Z? Travelling, where are the what fields are you going to be playing? Where are you going to be playing? How are you going to be playing? All these things, and that is a lot, a lot of work. So um, there's no doubt in my mind that somebody from the PSL had to be talking to the ministers regarding all these issues. But once the minister has said, yes, we can now play, it's out of their hands. Because, I mean, at the moment, you must remember, the governing body and PSL now are in the hands of the government. This is definitely government decisions getting made. But the government doesn't want to overrule anybody. They're just having a having a look and saying, yes, we're happy to be played. If they had said no football can be played, cancel football until the end of the year, not even, not even uh, the, the the FIFA could have said, no, no, you must play football. At this moment of time now, the country is run by by uh, the government, and all these little protocols that have to be put in place and decisions being made, whether we can play contact sport, whether we can or can't, or what we can do is government. But once government say yes, you can play if these protocols are in place, then there's a there's a there's a procedure that the PSL and the and the and SAFA have to go through and then get it done. Agreed. Yep. Uh, and just to add the if I play devil's advocate, I would say, uh, with according to FIFA rules, government is not supposed to get involved. Exactly. <laughs> and so for me, all structures of football they should be reporting where to <laughs> to SAFA. That's what that's what the uh, FIFA says. Um, Unless it has changed, but, but again, I think, I think <laughs> Brian, in, I think Brian, in this case, in this case, it's not a matter of reporting, but it's a giving a report. I would say, I wouldn't say that that I wouldn't say at this stage that that the PSL or SAFA are reporting to the government. But what they are doing is giving reports to the government regarding their status at the moment and asking the permission. Can we? We feel we can get going if we put all these 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 things in place. So I think the wording can be a little bit uh, tricky there when one says uh, we report. I don't think it's a PSL report to the government, but I think what the PSL are definitely having to do is give reports to the government, stating their status at the moment, and and the same as as same as uh, FIFA. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I think I think the main issue here is the reason for government's involvement has to be specifically because it's COVID and specifically because it's a pandemic. And so government has to be able to to cover their asses. Otherwise, they would just kind of back off and say, it's football, go to SAFA. You know what I mean? But but now it's now it's a risk factor because, because of life. So it's an interesting thing and it's a developing story. We'll probably have to talk about this next week again. But um, moving forward, um, I would like to challenge one Brian Baloy, legendary goalkeeper, to let me know who his top five PSL goalkeepers are. And, and, and even if you can tell us a little bit why, and then we'll obviously have some commentary from Gordon, who's coached a lot of these guys. The PSL era. PSL era, yeah. Okay, myself. Uh, number two, I'd say uh, Andrea Ranser, mm-hmm. Kelvin Mullen, uh, Kune, and Monib Joseph. And Monib Joseph's. Who I think is 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 about to retire. He's about to take a coaching role there at Amazulu. So that's an interesting list. So you, number one, you put yourself number one. I mean, I guess you had to. 
No, yeah, it's just it's not in 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 any particular order. That's my my top five. Oh, that's your top five. Uh, then Gordon, Gordon, what do you make of that? Who's the who? Who would you say is the best keeper you've coached? I would definitely agree. I would definitely agree with Brian. All those goalkeepers. There is one goalkeeper that he may, he may have missed. Uh, may have missed out. I'm not sure if he actually. He did play in the PSI era. It's uh, William Apara. I thought William Apara would be amongst amongst those five. But you know what, uh, Snoo, we've had so many good goalkeepers. I mean, Brian, uh, Kune, William Apara, you know, you Asenzo, Monib, uh, uh, Darren Keat, uh, uh, as I mentioned, Brian already, Ronwin Williams up and coming. I mean, he's 26 yes. or 27, but being with one team. Yeah, so you know what, there, there are so many, and it's so difficult, you know. I went back, I mean, I know if it was all time, not only PSL era, there's one goalkeeper that Brian would definitely have mentioned, and I would mention him now, was um, Patson Banda. I mean, yeah. uh, I mean, uh, you know, he was a great goalkeeper for London Pirates. I mean, he was a character, and, you know, he came out and punching balls, and people loved to watch him play, you know. He never probably had the technique of a Brian Beloy or a uh, Gary Bailey or a Kune, uh, uh, you know, William Apara, but he was one of those goalkeepers that was a stop shotter and very agile and, you know. So, yeah, there's, there, we've been – actually, in this country, we've been quite blessed with goalkeepers. We've had such a great quality of goalkeepers coming through. It's been fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Brian, I, I'd like to ask you this question. Uh, Gordon mentioned Ronwin Williams, right? Ronwin hasn't won the league, of course. I mean, Supersport are more cup specialists. What do you make? What do, what do you think he has to do to break that top five? Jeez, uh, a lot. Huh? He would still have to, to break that top five, like uh, Coach just mentioned. There are a lot of people that I would still. He wouldn't still make my top ten. I would still have if. Having making a top ten, I would put in a Senzo there. I would put in a uh, Williams Okpara, like coach is saying. Um, you know, then I would put in a a, a Rowan Fernandez. So um, for me, Joseph, uh, he wouldn't even make the top ten <laughs> yeah. as yet for me. So um, yeah, he would even struggle to make the top ten for me. Interesting stuff. I mean, we have been very blessed. Uh, uh, weeks ago, we were talking uh, to um, Sean about, have you guys seen Sundown's current goalkeeping situation and the and the number of solid keepers they have there? And they tend to do that with backing up a lot of positions with with, with depth. But right now, I mean, I mean, they have um, Onyongo there. They have, I think, Jody February is coming there. They have uh, Riyad Pitasa there. They have all these guys, and so it's a it's a it's a league in which we there's an overabundance. It seems. Um, oh yeah, they just signed Ricardo Goss as well from Vitz. Um, there seems to be this overabundance, and even if you look at Chiefs, you have Kune who's struggling for a place uh, because of Akbei. Um And uh, I think the only big three team that's looking for a keeper is Orlando Pirates at the moment. Um, Oh, actually, let me pick your brain about that. Who do you, who would you who would you say? Do you think um, they should go for uh, who's the Marisburg United? Oh, Richard Ofori. Do you think Pirates should be should be chasing Ofori? Look, I think I think they certainly need to have some backup in the goalkeeping department because over the years, you know, since the sad passing of Senzo, you know, there's been a there's been a bit of a, a, a not a bit, quite a huge gap there, you know. And um, I think the goalkeepers need competition. And they need to, you know, so they need to, they really need to improve in that department. But you must also remember, Slew, you know, goalkeeping department, the goalkeepers only, I won't say only start improving, but they only start maturing at a much older age. You know, they, I mean, when you look at goalkeepers today, the guys are 33, 34, 32, and they're the best goalkeepers around. You know, Monique Jones went to 38. So these younger goalkeepers are all so talented. But I can tell you right now, the 21-year-olds and 24-year-olds are nowhere near 
going to be when what they like when they get to 28 and 29 and 30 because it's a it's a it's a just one of those things how goalkeepers are the, are the ones that play the longest obviously and uh, in my opinion they're the ones who work the hardest i mean our goalkeepers uh, not only our goalkeepers but all goalkeepers they 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 got to work so so hard all the time you know up and down diving short stuff you know uh, uh, anaerobic endurance they got to have they just they just train so hard and they actually train harder than than the players and this is why they last so long because they, they their bodies are such in good shape. One name we left out earlier on was Andre Aronsa, another one of the great goalkeepers. You know, so we've really been blessed in that department. Yeah, but my my, my biggest concern, I would say, yes, maybe Pirates should go for Ofori. But my biggest concern is, you know, the three big clubs playing with foreign goalkeepers. So my concern is really for Bafana. And, and and I think this is a concern that's going to be there for the next five years is that, um, you know, when you look at Sundowns, they have, you know, about two, three, you know, big foreign goalkeepers in their books already. Uh, they're signing all these youngsters that should be playing and that should be getting uh, not only game time, but experience. And now when you look at uh, competition for the funner places, um, that's where now, um, you know, we, we, uh, and I think we're going to have a, a big problem in the next coming years. Uh, post uh, uh, Kune, and even now, him being in his now mid thirties, but uh, struggling to get game time. Um, yeah, I think Kune was a little bit unlucky as well with his injuries. You know, he got he got injured, uh, got injured, didn't quite recover from that. You know, but uh, you're quite right. I I I, I agree with you, Senzo. We got. Good young goalkeepers coming through, but some of them are being kept out of the teams from uh, foreign goalkeepers and much older players. Well, moving forward, we have the International News Desk. So uh, we're going to have an insert here. Kurt Buckerfield is off today, of, uh, the day of recording. Uh, but we had an interesting chat. And uh, interestingly enough, we start with a goalkeeper, David De Gea. Play that, Simon. All right, Mr. Kurt Buckerfield, we are recording this segment apart from the usual show. Uh, so you won't be able to talk to Brian and Gordon. But um, that is because you are going on holiday. Where are you guys going? Um um we are going just up to Tilbach um just for a quick little um two day stay um while my girlfriend has work up there so yeah i mean we're just going to take it easy take a chill very very nice much needed break indeed indeed uh you've been working hard and uh somebody who should work a little bit harder is uh Manchester United's own David De Gea um, big dip in form, errors against Spurs, Everton, Watford, and now Chelsea in the Cup. In your opinion, uh, what's going on there? Should he be dropped? Is there is there a situation um, in the goalkeeping department that needs to be handled? What, what's the what's the deal? Yeah, so, um, so Slu, to be honest, I'm not sure what's going on at all. Um, I do think that there should be dropped. Um, but it's important to note that there are two... Uh, big extremes here. You know, one side is saying De Gea needs to be sold. He's completely over the hill. And the other side is saying the best goalkeeper in the world. We can't drop him. Um, and he, he quite clearly isn't the best goalkeeper in the world. And he hasn't been the best goalkeeper in the world for for a while now. And it's been two years since this dip in form really started. 
Um, I've been quite surprised with how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has handled the situation, and I don't mean that in a good way. Um, I just feel, you know, with, with Sergio Romero on the bench, um, it's quite, um, or at least it could be perceived as disrespectful to him, uh, who you know, who's been capped 96 times for Argentina, when your when your number one isn't performing, um, but he's he's still being picked every week. Um, I think that when a striker doesn't perform for, for a couple of games. He is benched. And I feel like the same sentiment should be applied to De Gea. I, I think he's a, a great goalkeeper um, and he was hugely um, uh, instrumental for Manchester United um, in those struggling years post-Alex Ferguson. Um, you know, so he's definitely, he still holds his value and I still think that he has a, a great future ahead of him. I mean, he's only 29, goalkeepers generally peak around 30, 31 anyway. Um, so I'm not saying that David De Gea is finished. I just don't feel like he should be in the side right now. I think that being dropped to, to the sidelines would do him the world of good. Um, you know, sometimes you'll get a positive reaction, other times you won't, but you need to, you need to give it a try right now. It's, it's, simple. Do you think that if uh, Manchester United were to decide to sell David De Gea, that another team on Man United's level, uh, Man United's caliber, would be willing to sign him and give him a second shot as number one? I think so, but I think the tricky part is that De Gea wouldn't be cheap. You know, he signed a new deal just last year, which made him one of the, the club's highest paid players. So it would be extremely difficult for a club to sign David De Gea right now. And that's kind of um, the situation United United have put themselves in. De Gea's different form um, was long before this new contract was signed. Um, so it's it's quite a catch-22, especially when you consider that they've got a young goalkeeper out on loan at Sheffield United who's done brilliantly in his debut Premier League campaign, Dean Henderson, um, and then Sergio Romero on the bench. So it wouldn't be that easy to ship him out if he were to lose his place altogether. Interesting uh, uh, commentary there from Kurtz, and it, it, it speaks to the same stuff that we're talking about here. I mean, David De Gea, 29. Uh, BBC actually uh, posted an, uh, an article where they said, um, uh, had, did De Gea peak in 2017? Which is an odd thing to say, this keeper peaked to 27, uh, or 26 rather. But um, if, you're, if you're Manchester United, a club of that size, especially what Kurt's saying with Sergio Romero on the bench and Argentina International. Gordon, what would you do as coach? Do you, do you bench De Gea for a while or do you keep the faith and, and, and hope his form turns around? Now, you know what? I think, Slu, the, I think what might be getting missed here is the fact that there's been this virus and players haven't been able to train. And a goalkeeper needs to train every day, twice a day. He's got to be punished out there. He's got to come for crosses. He's got to punch. He's got to get his timing right. He's not because when you're a goalkeeper, just one step up here, one step up over there. And you know, if you if you no matter what sport, I mean if you a boxer and you train for one year continuously twice a day, every day, and you're training and you're on top peak form and one play, one guy comes back from from uh, injury and he trains for six weeks. He's nowhere gonna be nowhere near the level. He's not, I don't think you can become a bad goalkeeper overnight. I don't think that. So I, I would be prepared to rather make an excuse for him at this stage and say, you know what, this might be down to the type of training they've been able to only do in a short space of time. Yes, get another goalkeeper. You know, like like like, uh, like he said, there's a goalkeeper playing now and he's very young and had a fantastic first season. But when you're playing for a big team like Barcelona, Real Madrid, you know, the coach 
puts in a young goalkeeper, and these young goalkeepers are going to make mistakes. They're going to make a mistake here and a mistake there. It's going to cost you three points here. It's going to cost you three points there. And you're not going to win the championship if, you, if that's going on. So they want to have the top quality goalkeeper. And they're probably using this period of time now for the here to, to get more game time. By dropping him, he's still not going to progress. So maybe he's, you know, he's been a player's coach. And he's saying to the to to David, listen, I know where you are at the moment. Keep your head up. You'll get there. Another game behind. Another game behind you. And hopefully he gets better. But I would certainly put it down to to the fact that he hasn't trained the way he should be training, and that's why his form is like you know just one timing of coming out for a cross, getting into a situation. You just don't get there, and it's a mistake. And some of them look like they're easy mistakes. You know, some of them look like how can a goalkeeper of that caliber make such a silly mistake? But it happens. It's you know he's a human being and he's got to be in top condition. Ryan, your thoughts? Yeah, agreeing with coach. And but for me, looking at Dache, I think he hasn't been the same. Uh, since uh, about two years ago, especially when there was those rumors of him going to Madrid. And uh, when that ne when that didn't happen, um, you know, uh, then I think for me he's had... Um, and, and again, I think that, that one of the reasons uh, that the club and, and, and the coach uh, would be uh, loyal to him would be at the time when Manu wasn't doing so well. He was their best player. He was saving them you know, week in, week out. And so um, then when he's the one who's not, uh, who's a, who has a dip in form, so the club, I guess, the coach, then would kind of uh, uh, feel that it's an obligation to, you know, uh, back him. And, uh, but for me, I think uh, he should have moved uh, to Madrid uh, that time. Um, and, and like coach says, I mean, you have a, uh, Argentinian number one again sitting on the bench and um, I would have thought as well that uh, maybe then Romero would be playing you know the FA Cup <laughs> yeah. uh, but again I think the, coming out of this situation now having not had so many games to play I think the coach as well looks at um, not only the form but looks at you know uh, game time and that um, if you had to play Romero in the FA Cup, uh, he hasn't played in so many months, he hasn't been training, there hasn't been proper training in so many months, uh, you can't take that risk. Um, so there's a whole lot of things that, you know, come into play and I, I would hate to be uh, a coach uh, or to be a uh, Solskjaer at this moment. And that's why I never wanted to be a coach and having to deal with those problems. <laughs> well, speaking of coaches, <laughs> I also spoke to Kurt about uh, Zidane and uh, the stellar season that Madrid have had. Take a listen to this one. And uh, moving forward, we have new La Liga champions. So uh, uh, Zinedine Zidane has led Real Madrid to a La Liga trophy after the little little bit of a tight title race, but... Towards the end there, it kind of looked like Madrid were running away with it. And, and, and Zidane is kind of finally getting his flowers and getting his respect, despite having a hat-trick of Champions Leagues. Why do you think it's been so long that, that people have disrespected him and, and kind of like said that his wins were circumstantial or, or stuff like that? Why do you think it's taken this long for, for people to genuinely give him the stamp of approval? Um, well, I think that it, I mean, it might not be this simple, but it could be down to the fact that um, Zidane's first spell in charge, he was coaching a very, very informed Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, and I think that people attributed all of Real Madrid's success 
to Cristiano Ronaldo. So I think it's only natural for people to say that while he's, you know, inherited a great side, not much of the work was done by Zinedine Zidane. But that's, you know, that's not, I, I don't stand by that argument at all. I think that he is a, a brilliant coach. And, you know, the key word here is is trust. And his players trust him. He he doesn't have to scream and shout to to have authority. Um, his name is Zinedine Zidane. He was one of the greatest players of all time. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that becoming a first-team coach is easy, but it does mean that he has everyone's respect before he opens his mouth. Um, and what he's done, really, at Real Madrid this season, and he actually did it in his first spell, too, was place a lot of focus on La Liga. You know, he said um, that he wants Real Madrid to get back to dominating domestically. Um, he's had a very, very clear focus on, 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 you know, going for that La Liga title. So he's done a brilliant job. You know, he's done a brilliant, brilliant job. He only won La Liga once as a player um, back in, I think it was, I can't even remember, 2001. Um, but, you know, over the last 10, 15 years, Real Madrid have fallen quite far behind Barcelona when it comes to La Liga. Um and look, it's a nice position to be in for Zidane to say that, well, you know, we've won enough of those old Champions League. Let's focus on um, on the league. But that's down to the hard work that he's done and that he's put in. You know, he's a he's a football person. He's a brilliant football brain. Um, but his players trust him and it's paid off, you know. Definitely. And, uh, you know, they have their spots in the Champions League still. They have that tie against Manchester City. How do you rate Madrid's chances at this year's UEFA Champions League, considering we have an informed PSG, but they tend to, you know, they, they're serial bottlers. We have Barcelona and Napoli, Atletico Madrid, all these guys who are still, even Bayern Munich, incredible this season. What do you make of Madrid's opportunity in the Champions League? Do you think they're in with a shout? Well, you know, what we what we saw now um, since football resumed in La Liga was basically um, the league be reduced to a tournament um, format with, with just a couple of games. You know, the, the trophy was within reach and it was perhaps therefore easier for Real Madrid's players to, to wrap their heads around, you know, just going all in, all together, let's pull together and achieve something special, which they've, of course, done. So I, I wouldn't put it past them entirely. I still think they've got to overcome a very strong and hungry Manchester City side. I know that they've they've dropped off themselves um, this season under under Pep Guardiola in, in the Premier League. Um, so that won't be any, you know, that won't be an easy task at all. But, you know, you have to back Real Madrid um, when it comes to knockout games, big knockout games, they've got the know-how. Of course, they don't have Manchester. I mean, sorry, Manchester. They don't have um, Cristiano Ronaldo. But what they do have is a squad full of experience. Um, Zidane has come in, well, at least this season he has. He's placed all his faith in, in the big, you know, the Modric's, the the, the um, Tony Cruz's, the Casemiro's, Sergio Ramos, Karim Benzema. Um, and of course, you'll have a fit Eden Hazard. So you can't write them off. Um, completely, but look, it would be incredibly difficult, of course. But technically, uh, Zidane has never not won the Champions League as a coach. Interesting way of looking at that one, right? So, um, what do you guys make of, of of Zidane as a coach? Where where does he rank for you guys in terms of Europe's great coaches? We have one more international section with Messi, but I just want to get your opinions here. 
Yeah, look, I think obviously, you know, he 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 got involved obviously in coaching and he got a great team to coach. And I think it took him a little bit of time to to stamp his kind of style of football, his philosophy, how he wants to do things. You must remember whenever a new coach comes in, he's not going to go in there and say, well, I'm going to play exactly the same as your last coach played because he's got his own personality. And I think it's taken time for that to come across. But the way he's done it, as he said, the players trust him. He's got the, he's got the, uh, the, um, the respect of all the players around him. And when he speaks, people listen. And he's, he's, he seems to be the type of coach that will get on quite well with the players because, I mean, the, the, the type of players that he's got, there's no reason to do, to do too much coaching. You know, you've got to really manage the players because there's so many stars there. And sometimes when you leave one or two players out, there can be problems because they feel they should be playing and they, they start these little rifts. But that doesn't happen when the team is winning. When the team is winning and it keeps going on, People know they've got to fight for their place. And I think slowly but surely, he stamped his authority on that team. And they all realize now what they've got to do. And I think he's going to, he's going to get better and better. You know, he'll get better and better. Brian, your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, I think for me, the other thing that we always have to always be mindful of uh, with um, Madrid and Barcelona is that um, a lot as well, there's a lot of politics going on there, you know, um, that we, we 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 would never understand. So coaches at these clubs, um, there's always a bit of uh, you know political you know interference when it comes with uh, the president of the club and all of these things. And especially even when there is um, kind of like elections coming up, and so there's, there's all of these things as well play a part in that. And um, and again, for me, I think Zidane being um, you know, the, the, the figure that he is for the club, both as a player and, and what he has achieved as a coach. I think uh, a lot of other people uh, don't want to give him that respect and uh, uh, for him to have both as a player and as a coach that he's, he's won Champions League. He's now won, won it with, uh, as, a, um, as, a, as a coach now again and three times. And like always, the issue of the type of players that he would have had in the team uh, for him to win, like, you know, that uh, part of it is because of Ronaldo. But if he wasn't, I mean, coach will tell you again, like he says, um, players is about egos and all of these things. So um, if he wasn't able to stroke uh, Ronaldo's ego in the right way, he could have been fighting with Ronaldo, Ronaldo being angry and Ronaldo not performing. So he has to get the Jew, the credit has to go to him, uh, you know, as a coach that um, he's been able to keep so many players uh, with big personalities happy. That's part of the coach's job. You know, that's one, one of the biggest jobs of coaches that people never pay attention to. We always put a lot of emphasis on the technical. But for me, I believe the technical is not so much important than the men, and, the men management. Exactly. And that's one of the things that uh, Coach Gordon was uh, very good at uh, as a coach. High praise, high praise. And lastly, we have a quick uh, word on Lionel Messi. Uh, have a listen to this discussion. On the other side of Spain, we have uh, Barcelona and Lionel Messi. I heard that Messi had a an hour-long meeting of some sorts with the coach. Um, but, uh, you know, the, and now they have this focus on the Champions League because it's the only thing they, they would want to win. And so... 
but what I want to focus on is Messi himself because in a dull season for, for Barcelona, a disappointing season, questionable business, questionable board, he still managed to be the top goal scorer. Is that a signal that despite Barcelona's struggles, this isn't the swan song for Messi? This isn't the end for Lionel? No, of course. I mean, you have to wonder, you know, how much better those numbers would be um, and his assist numbers too in a much stronger side. And I think those... Those numbers, look, he got 30 goals um, across all competitions um, and 25 assists. And that's just so far because, of course, you have the Champions League around the corner. And those numbers really just tell you everything you need to know about him and how he is just judged differently um, to others by the standards that he himself is, of course, set. Um, if any other footballer in the world posts those numbers, they're the front runner for the Ballon d'Or. Um, but this has just become normal for, for Messi. So, yeah, I mean, this season, Barcelona were incredibly poor in La Liga and in the Copa, de, uh, Copa del Rey. Um, so to achieve those numbers in a season, like you mentioned, uh, Slu, that has uh, been filled with fallouts with, with board, with Eric Abidal, with the president, um, with the coach, they've, they've, of course, seen a managerial change. Um, so to post those numbers in a season that has been incredibly difficult um, it's just it's just phenomenal, yeah. Well, Kurt, as usual, thank you very much for joining me. Can't wait to have you back in the normal show so that we can interact with uh, with the co-hosts. I think by the time you're back, it'll be Deco and Sean back in studio, back to normal. Yeah, uh, it's, it's always a pleasure to have you on, man. Have a great one. Cool, Slew. I'll chat to you guys next week. Enjoy, man. Sure thing. Cheers. Cheers. And so there you have it. Uh, so just a quick, I mean, you know, we 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 speak about Messi every every damn week. So uh, I'll just ask you this much: He's thirty three now. Another fantastic season, despite all of the stress. How many more years do you think we have of of of, of peak Lionel Messi uh, before he retires? Um, you know, it, this is around the time that players start slowing down. Do you think that that we're about to witness that, or do you think we still have some time left, Gordon? You know, I think I think it's going to be totally up to the player. You know, he's got to, you know, when he wakes up in the morning and he thinks to himself, oh, hell, I've got to go to training today, then he's going to stop it immediately. He loves the game. He loves doing what he's doing, and he's doing it at the highest level, and he's still probably amongst the top uh, five players in the world. You can't take that away from him. 30 goals, 30 assists. You know, uh, he's, he's absolutely brilliant, and he works very, very hard. So, you know, it's going to be hard for him to retire when you're in such top form because he still wants to play, I suppose. And as I said, he'll make a decision. Uh, I mean, obviously, he's earning big bucks and, uh, you know, go for it. He's, he's having fun and he's loving the game. And, you know, play it while you still love it because, you know, people mustn't forget about the game. It's, it's something that, uh, no matter who you are, no matter who you are, you can be Lionel Messi, you can be Ronaldo, you've got to love the game. You've got to respect the game and love it and enjoy doing it. Don't sometimes just do it because it's your job. You know, oh, I've got to go to work today because I have to. You know, he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to. He can stop and retire now and live forever and ever and ever how he wants to. So I think that will be, he, it will be his decision. And I still think that clubs will want him. I mean, if Manchester, if he could go to Manchester United tomorrow, uh, if Manchester United could get him, they would take him tomorrow and probably break the bank to get him. That's the, that's the kind of player he is. For sure, for sure. Brian? Yeah, I, I think... Uh, uh, I think it's just a, a, a hope and for me that he will play until he's about 38, 40. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think... He, he's got the genetics. He's blessed with that. And uh, I think like coach says, if he still has the hunger and, and, and uh, the desire to play, that's what will carry him. But for me, I think physically, um, I, don't th I don't think it would be a problem for him to play. The one thing that's going to be a challenge for him 
the older he gets is the desire and the hunger to play you know and uh, we're having achieved so much uh, you know as a player you know having won all that, that is there to win uh, on the personal level and at club level i know um, you know there's that desire still for you know to win some more things uh, at national team level but for me, I think uh, I mean I know he just broke he just broke the record of uh, official thousand goals. Mm. You know he keeps breaking records every week, every month. And the one thing, like I said, it would be just the desire and 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 um, uh, 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 for him to still want to play. Definitely. Uh, so to end off, I mean, we we hope that international competition doesn't get delayed too much because of the COVID situation. But we all know Messi's real goal uh, right now, he's won everything at club level. I think his real goal is the World Cup. And we hope to see him at another one. He won't be too old for it. And he'll definitely still walk into that Argentina squad when it comes around. But... As we move forward, we have a, a story around Bidvest Vitz, who, of course, will be moving to Limpopo under the name TTM. And uh, a kind of, uh, you know, it's a, it's a solemn way to, to close off the ch- this chapter of, of the 99-year history. But we are hearing reports that 29 or as many as 29 employees will be retrenched from Bidvest Vitz because obviously they can't move with the club. Uh, Vitz has proposed paying out one week salary for every completed year of continued service. That appears to only apply to non-playing staff. Indications are that should the season go beyond the end of next month, um, then the players and the technical team could be paid pro rata. Uh, so, what do you guys make of this? I mean, Gordon, it's just a it's just a sad ch- a way to a way to end this club's uh, incredible run. Um, you know, and and I don't think anybody is happy about this. Yeah, look, it's very very difficult. You know, it's it's obviously football is a big business in the world and in South Africa and all over. And um, you know, when a club gets sold and you got to get rid of, or not get rid of, but there's no space for for the ex staff, it's very very difficult. You know, and I think there's so many lessons to be learned here because I can tell you right now, these players are definitely going to start adding certain uh, uh, things into their contracts regarding this kind of situation. If the club gets sold, you know, I can't just be given my clearance. I need to be paid out or this or that so there's going to be a lot of because you know it's not often or every day that a club is getting sold but when it's a club like Vitz University with such a they're an institution I mean Vitz University if, if you can correct me I think about 98 years old just under 100 years old uh, being there at the highest level for so many years, having great players there, and um, you know they're gone, and uh, you know they're going to be missed, of course, and the name is going to be changed now to something else, and they're going to just disappear, the same as many Rangers disappeared, or or uh, another team just disappears that were were there for a long, long time, you know. So uh, yeah, I think it's it's difficult. What do those guys do now? Because the new club that's that's bought them, and they've done nothing wrong. They wanted to buy a club, and they negotiate. They bought a club. They want to have their own staff. They've got other people involved. So, so this is really difficult for, for the members of the team that's been sold because where do, they, where do they go? What do they do? They've been there. Some of them been there for 20 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, some of them. So who knows what's going to happen? It's very tough. Brian, your thoughts? Yeah, geez, my thoughts. Uh, yeah, my thoughts are with this staff members and their families. And for me, this is one of the things that really uh, uh, are very painful in South African football. Uh, you know, this thing happens almost every season, coach. Uh, I mean, uh, first division is still professional. So yeah. when you look, uh, if you follow in the last 10 years, 
how many tops have been sold, uh, you know, in the PSL and in the first division. Most of them are in the first division. And, but I think for me, the problem is in the foundation. And until we fix that, uh, we will always have these problems uh, in South African football. Um, you don't see this anywhere else in the world where you find Liverpool being sold and then Liverpool is moved to Manchester and the name is changed. <laughs> Only in South Africa, these things happen. And, um, and we can't keep on having the excuse of that football is a business and it's business people that are uh, running these clubs. Football is not a business. Football is about people. Football is about community. That's where we go wrong in South Africa. Until we fix these things, uh, we'll keep on having these problems. Definitely, definitely. You know, it's, it's a story that I, I just, I, I, I don't want to keep talking about because uh, the first couple of weeks when we spoke about it, it, it seemed like it wasn't going to happen. It seemed like no way. And then it, and then it happens, you know, but uh, moving on, I, th- I think I'd like to try and cheer you guys up with a much more lighthearted feature, which is the Secret Footballer. Uh, Secret Footballer is where uh, we take a look at our sister publication, Kickoff Magazine's back page. Somebody from the league or involved in local football tells a story. And this one is quite funny. He's speaking about um, coming back from the off season and the difficulties uh, that, that, <laughs> that they go through in training. So he says, I quote, I remember one player who came back after preseason and nobody recognized him. He had put on 10 kilos, mostly around his neck and his face, and he looked terrible. He was immediately nicknamed Sumo by the rest of the players. So <laughs> I wanted to ask you guys if you guys have any um, preseason uh, funny stories that, that you know, the, the, the difficulties of coming back from the off-season where you're not training and where, you know, you might overeat and overindulge. Do you have any, any interesting tidbits? Gordon, I'm sure you have plenty where, where the players are, 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 are struggling. Yeah, look, I, I can imagine now that players are always chirping. There's a lot of fun in the change rooms normally. And, uh, you know, the guys are always having something to say when a player comes in. But I think I think over the last uh, six months where these guys have been off, they probably have come back with a lot of weight on them. And I can just imagine the kind of chirps that people are saying, you know, they're regarding their bodies and how they look and so on and so forth. Yeah, but the, the players have got uh, there's a lot of characters at all the clubs. And uh, I'm sure they're coming up with a lot of good chirps at the moment. Brian, do you have any from your time? Did you have a struggle uh, coming back from the off-season? No. I, I, the one thing I always understood was... Be careful what you say, yeah, Brian. <laughs> I, I saw you every day. Huh? <laughs> For me, I understood that uh, the importance of pre-season because that's where you load and that's what is going to carry you the rest of the season. If you have a good pre-season, uh, then you're not going to have a lot of problems with injuries and, and, and um, uh, fitness throughout the season. So... As much as it was tough, uh, you know, being in a preseason, um, but uh, it's things that we had to prepare mentally for. It was not more the physical, but it was more mental. It's a mental challenge that you have to prepare yourself for. And luckily, uh, I was—I uh, never drank when I was playing. You know, I started drinking when I retired. Hey, <laughs> celebration! All right, so I've been notified by my engineer. We're, we're, we're running close on time here. So let me speed through this. We're, up next, we have a feature called 10 Quickfire Questions where we get your favorite PSL players on the line and put them on the spot. This week, we had one Evans Rusika. Have a listen. Hi, my name is Evans Rusika from Supersport United. These are my 10 questions. Who is the funniest guy in the PSL that you have played with? <laughs> Gabuza. <laughs> Gabuza, of course. And then who is the flashiest dresser that you've played with? <laughs> Um, 
That's my guys, MGZ. MGZ, yeah. And then who is the worst dressed? The worst? Ah, <laughs> man, no. <laughs> no, man, people hate me, no. <laughs> okay, I'll leave that one now. <laughs> what is, uh, what's the worst mistake you've made in a match? Mm, I caused the, cause the penalty. <laughs> Because the penalty. Which match was this? Uh, against Pirates, yeah. Eesh. All right. Um, <laughs> who is a, who's a teammate that thinks that he's funny, but actually his jokes aren't funny? <laughs> Man, no, people kill me. <laughs> 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 ah no man let's pass this okay pass all right all right what is uh your favorite footballing memory um uh my game against uh cosmos uh when we were fighting relegation uh the last goal yeah and then what is the best goal you've scored in a match i have a feeling i know which one <laughs> uh I, I, I'll, I'll go with the, with the Cosmos also. I, I, I have a lot, but I'll go with the Cosmos because, you know, we're, we're on a critical position. Do you remember, would you be able to describe that goal? Yeah. Uh, it was like in, in the ninth third. Yeah. Um, and we were struggling, we were struggling man. And uh, as Cosmos, they wanted a draw, man. And they were, le- they were leading, man. And uh, us, uh, if we're going to lose that game or draw the game, we're going to lose. Then I mean, I was like anonymous, like uh, the whole of maybe uh, eight, eight, eight minutes the marking beam, man. But uh, I managed to hey, to sneak out those ten minutes and score two goals there, man. Very nice, very nice. Currently, what is your favorite car? Yeah, uh, I love Mac, man. <laughs> Mercedes Benz. Yeah, Mercedes Benz. Yeah. And then, what is your favorite local food? Uh, sometimes with international players, uh, that you can say something you like here and something you like back home. So what's your favorite dish back in Zimbabwe? Back in Zimbabwe. Uh, I don't know what you call them here, but uh, Amatimbi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's popping Amatimbi. Oh, oh, I see. And yeah. then uh, lastly, what is your favorite holiday destination? Eish, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, there's quite a lot of places, man, but uh, I, I would love to go to Dubai, man, yeah. Blessed are those who fly to Dubai. Yeah, man. <laughs> and uh, moving swiftly forward, I have this week in uh, football history. A big thank you again to Evan Strusike, by the way. Fantastic gent. All right, this week in 2010, the French Football Federation suspended all 23 members of their World Cup squad at the request of the new manager, Laurent Blanc. This came after Le Bleu refused to train after Analco was sent home after uh, arguing with the coach during the Mexico game. Of course, France went on to lose to us and got knocked out finishing bottom of the group. Um, This week back in 1991, Kaiser Chiefs beat Morocco Swallows 2-1 in the National Soccer League, making it 17 wins in a row. And this week back in 1995, Vitz University defeated Orlando Pirates in the Coca-Cola Cup, sorry, the Coca-Cola League Cup final, having already beaten Kaiser Chiefs in the semi-final stage. And Cutting it very, very close. I just want to have a quick uh, look at the players abroad and, and get you guys' thoughts on this. Percy Tau is set for his third loan stint in Belgium, potentially joining Anderlecht, where he'd be coached by Vincent Kompany. How long do you guys think he should stay in Belgium before trying a different league? Because we, we all know how talented he is. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very surprised because, every, I mean, in Belgium, in the, in the last uh, 
in the last uh, st- the loan stint he had there. I mean, he was player of the year, I think it was. Or he's been out- absolutely outstanding. So, you know, I think he'll be looking to go somewhere, maybe back to Brighton because he's only on loan. So, who knows? Brian? Yeah, I'm surprised if uh, Brighton doesn't want, don't want to take him now. I think, I'm not sure if uh, he doesn't qualify now for a, uh, a work permit. Yeah, it's always those if issues. Those are yeah, but yeah. If, if if he still doesn't qualify for me, I would say uh, then he should be going to you know France, uh, Germany, uh, maybe those leagues for me. Uh, I think his uh, his 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 overstayed is welcome for me. I think in Belgium, and as well, I mean, um, <clears throat> at times as well, you'd see he's been doing well, and then he's been benched as well. I think they're more in favor of bigger players. I don't know uh, his club, um, but he's done well there for me. I think he should move instead of if 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 they is looking for a, a, another loan stint, but it's at a different club. Uh, then I would say he'd rather move to another league. You know, maybe he's going to be nationalized very soon. You know, as a uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's why maybe Brighton do want him back, but he has to spend maybe another year outside somewhere where he can play because English as you know in England is very difficult with the work permits so maybe there's a maybe there's a plan in place where he needs to spend oh. maybe six more months or another year uh, before he become nationalized in England I don't know definitely and another player who could be on the move is Bongani Zungu who's definitely looking for a new club after our French side Amiens got relegated and he could switch to Rangers Glasgow Rangers where he would be managed by Steven Gerrard and could potentially play in the Europa League would this be a step in the right direction for Mr. Zungu, Gordon? Yeah, I, I certainly hope so, you know, because uh, Bongani Zungu, I gave him his debut actually in 2013 for the national team and he's such a talent and he must have, now with all the years he's been spending overseas, I think it's been seven years since then or six years, he must have matured so much better and uh, going to a club like Rangers, I think will be absolutely outstanding for him because he'll be able to show off his talent and the kind of football and the big crowds that we know we get there. So, yeah, I think I, I think a move to Rangers will be a great move for him. Uh, uh, Brian, your thoughts? Yeah, I would agree with the move to Rangers. For me, I'd say he needs a new challenge, a first challenge, a new league. And he's been, I think we know his talent. We know what he can offer. But I think for me, he needs a bigger challenge. And the more we have, you know, our players playing in bigger leagues. And and for me, if he's going, if, if Rangers playing in the Europa League, for me, I think it's good for our national team to have players playing in such big competitions. And I would say uh, yes to that. Definitely. And speaking of Zungu, I have a car of the week. Uh, uh, Bongani Zungu has uh, used some of that hard-earned money in France to purchase a Maserati Ghibli. The Maserati have launched this hybrid, which is more subdued than other Italian performance hybrids like the Ferrari SF90, Stradale, or the Lamborghini Sian. It's a turbocharged 2.0-liter inline four-cylinder, and it's assisted by an electric supercharger that draws power from a 48-volt battery. Rather than raw performance, Maserati wants the Ghibli to strike a balance between performance, efficiency, and driving pleasure. CarAndDriver.com gave it a 7 out of 10. And uh, 
uh, Romelu Lukaku uh, of Inter Milan has also recently gotten this car because of his new deal with Maserati and ending off the show with a motivational quote of the week. This one comes from the man who would usually do this feature, Sean Roberts, and he's a new dad. And as he posted his new son, he said, we must be willing to let go of the life we have planned as to have the life that is waiting for us. And I think that's a beautiful sentiment. But... A big, big thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Gordon, for joining us on the show again. It's always a pleasure to have you. Thanks so much, Lou and Brian. Thanks. Nice chatting to you again. Yeah, nice chatting to you, Coach. Of course, Brian Baloy, fantastic to have you on as well. Thank you very much and have a fantastic day. Thank you very much. Uh, had fun as usual. Thanks. Sorry to all of our listeners. <laughs> Whether you are listening on SL Radio, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, or Game Time on Mahikeng FM, thank you very much and see you this time next week. Today is a great day for a car wash. Yeah, sure. Car wash. <laughs> <laughs> this is the car wash on Sakala Duma Radio. She's a fang on a corner. Bana and Baba.